शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरि नाम संकीर्तन की जय श्री श्री राज शरद बिहारी जी की जय श्री गिरिराज महाराज की जय घोर भक्त वृंद की जय घोर हरि सो Welcome to all for now. My pleasure to share with all of you again. Uh, here in Raleigh, we are starting some sort of series of lectures on, on a particular section of the of Grantaras Srimad Bhagavatam, mm-hmm. ninth canto. Mm-hmm. We will be sharing today, tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow, and the next. Weekend, <laughs> uh, the coming weekend. I don't know how to say. It. The the remaining three verses we will be sharing six verses connected to a very particular trailer-like section of the Bhagavatam, which anticipates the coming of the tenth canto of the Brajalila. In many parts of the Bhagavatam, we we will see this in this type of hmm? trailer. You say in English? Okay, that is like given a glimpse of. What's next? Uh, where's the whole work ideally converging in? We last month we were studying at Madhuvam a series of verses called the Bhavachatu Shloki, which could be in some way connected to this because it's another of the main trailers of the Bhagavatam, which appears in the midst of the work in the sixth canto, the prayers of Ritrasura, so-called demon, by delivering the essence of the bhava or the mood that the Bhagavatam ultimately is trying to deliver in the form of his nar- its narrative of the Brajalila. Mm-hmm. So in the sixth canto we have something of that and we can find in different in all the cantos. Of course if you have the eye to see you will find it behind every single syllable that Charya have said you'll find the glorification of the topmost type of love. Mm-hmm. But this is a famous one famous section of the Bhagavatam. So this will be six verses. Uh, they, at least to my knowledge, do not have a particular uh, type of name as the other verses had. Sometimes they call it the Bhavachatu Sloki, this whole verse of Brithrasura. So here we will be studying six, six verses pronounced by Bhagavan, Vishnu, in this case, Narayan, in Vaikuntha, uh, to Durvas, the famous Durvas Muni who appears all along all the lilas, not only Braja Lila, but every lila, he's like one of these famous paradigmatic figures like Narad Muni, Durvas Muni, these are the great sages that come unexpected, especially with his 60,000 disciples, <laughs> and you have to feed them, and they are generally quite hungry, and as today Subal was telling me in, in, in some word, how do you say? But you are hungry? Hungry? <laughs> <laughs> So, so there, yeah. <laughs> so all this, and it takes to different curses, curses, and in the in the in the Vedic tradition, we take to different lilas, and they are necessary to certain lilas to unfold and counteracting the curse. And in this way, they are being instrumental actually in in, in all this. So in, in this case, we find one of these examples. Durvas will be like the bad guy in the in the story, if you will, but he will be quite instrumental for an interesting unfolding that will somehow like converge in this moment of 
six verses. So the story also involves one personality called uh, Ambarish Maharaj. I think you have heard about him. So let me give today we'll be we'll be studying the first verse of these six, but let me give some brief introduction to give context to where these verses are appearing, which is the background story to Bhagavan praying in this way. Because interestingly, what we will find here is Bhagavan's prayers to his devotees. In the Bhagavatam we find a lot of devotees praying to Bhagavan, and that's also great and necessary. But here, interestingly, we will find six verses will, when Bhagavan himself is praying to his devotees, expressing his indebtedness, his attachment to them, and so on. So it's a shift but from one side to the other, but as, as we know, Krishna is the Vishaya Lambana, or the object of love, and the devotee is the Astraya Lambana, of the vessel of love, but from the other perspective, Krishna is the Astraya Lambana, the object of a particular love towards the devotee who access the Vishaya Lambana to Krishna. So this is happening here. So which is, which is the setting? Well, mainly we have, again, Ambarish Maharaj, he will be one of the main characters, Although he won't be present in this moment when Bhagavan is sharing uh, these beautiful words, but he will be quite instrumental to it. So Ambarish Maharaj was, or is described as the great king of the world, a sort like of Pariksit Maharaj, this type of world emperors that we cannot even start to conceive what does it mean, what does it imply to be an emperor of the whole world. I mean, sometimes we are... We think we are the emperor of our own house and we already feel, uh, have so much power. But they were emperor of the whole world and fully humble at the same time, <laughs> totally devoted. And he was a great king, saintly king, ruling the world. I don't know how it happens, but ruling the world in a very pious way, in a very pure way, kind of the type of government that the Bhagavatam describes as ideal. So Ambarish Maharaj was... A kind of this this guy this this kind of go- governor, yeah okay. So he had everything he wanted. Even materially speaking, he was having everything. He had like a heavenly kingdom on earth, but at the same time, the Bhagavatam depicts him as being I mean, totally detached from that. So as we always say, one thing is to be detached from worldly things while not having them. It's relatively easy. <laughs> but another thing is you are full of that and you are detached. And that's the real test, if you will. Not, not having anything and you are detached by force. I mean, that's relatively easy. But the thing is, you have it and you are detached. Like Christ saying, love your enemies. Well, he didn't say love your friends. That's relatively easy. <laughs> so have an enemy and love him. Which means he's, he's no longer your enemy, basically. <laughs> So Ambarish Maharaj had everything and was detached from all that because he had, as we know, a, partic- a special attachment for Bhagavan. So he had clearly all his opulence, position, followers, servants, enjoyment, temporary. And I'm not temporary. So I, I go in for the, for the eternal. So he engaged constantly his mind, his senses in different ways. He's one of the main examples. Sometimes we hear this Navalakshan Bhakti description given by Pralat, Shravana, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Shmanam, Padasivana, Archan, Bandhanam, Dasan, Sakyamatmani, Vedanam, this ninefold division and different acharyas for the different angas of Bhakti. For example, I don't know, Sukadev Goswami is the Kirtanakya Guru, the Guru concerning the Anga of Kirtan. 
Pariksit Maharaj is the Shravanakya Guru, the Kirtan of Hearing, the Acharya of Hearing, sorry. He gave the example of how to attain perfection through that particular practice. Alambarish Maharaj, he is Akrura, is the Acharya of Prayers and so on. So which category belongs to, does belong to Ambarish Maharaj? He's the one who does all of them. Okay, we won't limit him to one of them. <laughs> He's especially highlighted by being engaged in the nine of them. It's interesting because scriptures say, only through one of them you can attain perfection. But also, that's not an excuse to say, okay, so I will choose pick one and dismiss the other eight and attain perfection. <laughs> Ambarish Maharaj was not in that club, if you will. No? He just went for all of them and engaging fully all of them, being, again, world emperor. So what does it mean? And fully engaged in hearing, chanting, remembering, serving, praying, worshipping, and so on. So he's a very, very surrendered, dedicated personality. And it is said that Bhagavan was so pleased with him that he chose decided to stay at his kingdom in the form of his chakra. Sudarshan chakra. It is said that the Sudarshan chakra was staying as a, if you will, being hosted by Ambarish Maharaj in his kingdom, always residing there, just in case. So today comes the opportunity of Sudarshan chakra to render some seva to Ambarish Maharaj, as we all see. <laughs> so the chakra was residing at the king's palace. Interestingly, that's a way of like some form, extension of Bhagavan, some embassy being present there, if you will. The chakra is there, Bhagavan's protection is there. This series has to do, has a lot to do with the idea of Bhagavan's protection towards his devotees and, and, the, and the background of that protection, why he's protecting them. And all this idea of possible bias or non-bias, some details that are important to highlight. So, as you may know, one day the Bhagavatam recites, narrates, Ambarish Maharaj was worshipping. He was in Braj, interestingly described. He was observing an Ikadasi bow for a whole year. So that's a particular intense austerity, as you may imagine. Just twice a month may be too much of austerity for some, so he was doing that for a whole year, every single day. So on the Duadasi, after the whole year that he was supposed to break the Kadasi, as you know, there is some specific period of time, and sometimes it's not so long. <laughs> so, well, at that point, when he was about to complete the bow, if you will, some, some visit came. Atiti Devo Bhavam, says it, the Vedas. And a guest is to be treated as God himself, especially if it's an invited guest. Because one thing, okay, you invite it, you know, at this time it's coming, I organize it. But if someone comes out of the, of the blue, you say, mm-hmm. especially you have to treat him as God, because God may come to your life out of the blue. I mean, he's blue, and he's coming out of the blue at everything. <laughs> <laughs> so you should be willing for that. It's not to say, oh, Krishna, you didn't send me a WhatsApp message as you were coming. <laughs> I mean, you should be always ready for that. So Atiti Devo Baba means a guest is to be treated as, a, as God himself. What to speak if the guest is God himself or a great personality? So in this case, Durbasa Muni came again. And Durbasa is quite famous. <laughs> so King, King Ambarish respectfully received Durbasa Muni. Again, he was about to break the fasting. He had not much time. He was on the deadline, fasting deadline, if you will. 
So he accept he invited the, the sage to sit to have prasad, but the sage said, "I have to do my morning duties, my sandhya, my prayer." So he went to the jamona. Durbas is depicted here as a brahmavadi, someone who is absorbed mostly in the uh, undeterminate aspect of the absolute, but he's always playing some role in the determinate lilas, if you will, <laughs> feeling them. So he enters into the jamona, starts to meditate in the non-differentiated. Brahman, if you will, and becomes absorbed there. So he becomes absorbed and becomes absorbed. And I mean, Ambarish was making everything ready for him to to have prasad. So he entered into samadhi. So he did not come back soon. Ambarish Maharaj was looking at the watch because he not because he was hungry, but just because he wanted to do his bow properly. So he said, "What to do? I mean, I have to break the fast." Because that will be a fault. But if I eat something before my guest, that's another fault. So, dilemma. Mm-hmm. Bhagavatam has lots of those situations where you have to, what to do. Mm-hmm. So, Ambarish was a really... He had a whole assembly of Brahmins, but the Brahmins themselves were bewildered about what Ambarish should be doing. So, they, they were not able to say anything. <laughs> so, Ambarish himself decided, I will say, he said, I will take a little bit of water water is considered that breaks fast and doesn't break fast. It's considered food and not food. So, achinta beta beta. So, he drank some water. So, it, it means he, he broke the Kadesi bowl properly, but at the same time, he didn't broke the... the he didn't eat before Durbas. That was his idea. So, but the point is that Durbas was still at the distance... But and by his mystic power, he had lots of cities he could perceive. Ambarish broke the fasting. <laughs> For him, he broke it. He drank water. So, the point is that Durbasa Muni is famous for many things. One of them is that he has very good appetite, as we, may, as we mentioned. He's always hungry. Generally, if you want to satisfy his hunger, he may be eating for hours and hours and hours. But also he's, how he was? Hungry? Hangry. 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 <laughs> no, so he's famous for his short temper, oh. if you will. You can see in every Vedic narrative, Durbasamuni comes and everyone's like, oh my God, let's do everything properly. We don't want to be cursed by this age. Please, please. And, and if Prasadam is delaying for some minutes, his eyebrows start like to, you know, so everything, everyone is trembling. No, we will be cursed, we will be cursed. So he's famous for that. I mean, Durbasamuni came means I mean, sweating will be there um, for the cook to begin with. Now, there are a long list of curses he had been in, in Shastra. To Brahma, Shiva, Vishnu himself, he's cursing for free in every direction. <laughs> Again, part of the Leela, these curses are unfolding other aspects and so on. So the point is that Durbasamuni knew Ambarish the water, so when he returned from Jamuna, he started to chastise. Ambarish verbally. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and Ambarish was just standing before him, before him with folded hands, like very humbly. But mm-hmm. Durbas was at last, alas, just what a great transgression to the norms of Vedic law. This cruel non devotee no, have not considered mm-hmm. the proper etiquette, Vaishnava etiquette, <laughs> to, to be the guest. He's intoxicated with wealth, position, and fame. He's a king. He thinks he can do whatever he likes. He thinks he's the controller. So he's kept insulting 
Ambarish Maharaj was the topmost Vaishnava. Strictly speaking, Ambarish Maharaj was in a higher position than Durvas. Even though Ambarish was treating Durvas as a superior, of course. Let me share some comments of Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur in this particular section. I will share some of them. They are quite interesting. So Vishwanath says, no, Durvas on the external level, he's saying all the things. He's insulting Ambarish Maharaj. But that's we find many sections in the Bhagavatam when someone is insulting a devotee or a demon is speaking, insulting a devotee, the commentators invoke Saraswati there and saying Saraswati appear in the tongue of that person and their words have double meaning. So in some way Saraswati could not bear someone is insulting a devotee, so it has to have another meaning. So some auspicious meaning is there as well. So Vishwanath is given the auspicious meaning to this particular section. Where um, Durbas is insulting and So Vishwanath says, there is another meaning to Durbas's words. This is Sarasvati's intervention. Nrisamsaya means of Ambarish who is praised by all people. Sriyonmatasya means of Ambarish who is not intoxicated with wealth. Avaktasya means of Ambarish to whom no devotee can compare. Ishamanina means of Ambarish who gives regard to the Lord since he did not transgress the Dwadasi. Or it can mean of Ambarish, who is respected by Indra and others. Vyatikraman can also mean having not transgressed Dharma. So the opposite meaning implies the real situation. Ambarish was not in fault, he didn't transgress anything, and he's such a great personality. Even though that was not Durvasa's overt intention, that was the reality, and Sarasvati made that imply there, if you will. But the point is, after insulting and abusing, bullying, bullying is in English also, Ambarish, Durbasa was not yet satisfied. You know, when you are in, we are anger, you can insult someone, you are not satisfied. You have to jump on their neck and do something more there, no? Like, <laughs> so what did Durbasa do? He invoked like a whole, a big monster, if you will, from his one of his hairs, one of his dreadlocks, if you will. <laughs> he took one and. It says that some of these yogis have their mystic powers staying there in their, on their hair. So he created a demon appearing like, was like the fire of death, the Bhagavatam describes, such a personality, and everyone was scared. And then interestingly here, Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur, for a moment, he's siding with Durbasa Muni. And he gives some explanation which seems to, 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 to show Durbasa in the light of, actually he's behaving like a demonic personality himself, but actually... In the background, he's trying to promote the higher idea. So he says, he's paraphrasing Durbasa, Vishwanath, in his purpose. By creating this demon, I will show that the Lord's chakra can burn whatever powers I have, as we will see. I, that no one can save a person from the chakra's wrath, except the devotee and the Lord's censor of Brahmanas, like me, who are Brahmavadis. So according to Vishwanath here, Durbasa was... Was have, have, had some conscious intention of, I want to create all this for this purpose. So we can also have some mercy on, on Durbas for sure. <laughs> and side with Vishwanath. So, well, the point that the demon appeared, uh, like threatening to swallow the whole universe, but it is said that Ambaris did not move from his position. He was, remember, folded hands, begging forgiveness from, <clears throat> from Durbas. And the monster came, most people may run in fear or whatever, 
but Ambarish kept praying. <laughs> so he he was the point is he was not acting to protect himself. He was not going against. He said, "Okay, if because of my fault this demon has to appear and he has to swallow me or whatever, if Bhagavan considers this proper, I won't offer any opposition." Imagine, and and that was real. It was not just a calculated thing. For sure, Bhagavan will appear and protect me now. So I, I will do, won't do anything so I gain fame of great devotee, but some of the chakra will appear. He was not thinking about that. He was not thinking, I have my chakra in the other room, it will appear at any moment. He was just really accepting whatever had to happen. So at that time, the chakra appeared. Again, the chakra, Sudarshan chakra, in order to protect Ambarish. And as we mentioned, that the chakra means like this, discus, you say in English? Discus? And so darshan means darshan means vision, and su means correct. So sudarshan means proper vision. That's the symbolic symbology. That it's not just beheading everyone, because when we hear we hear about sudarshan chakra, we just can't think of shoo, 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 one after the other. No, we may say this is quite gore, no, <laughs> just blood and heads falling. But the point is proper vision. So the idea of the discourse is. You had a proper and wrong idea in your head, if you will. Generally, in the head is, is the whole problem. <laughs> so the discus will come to to take the, the wrong idea out. And you will receive a, a new way of seeing things. You know? it's, it's some type of invoking proper vision. So Sudarshan is proper vision. Go beyond the literal, only limiting the, the thing to the literal meaning of he cut the head and that's all. But implanting proper vision, if you will. So... The, the chakra appeared and immediately burned the demon to ashes. You know, like in, in, in a... How do you say? Blink of an eye. Thank you. In a blink of an eye. So, <clears throat> another commentary by Bishmanat here, very interesting. He says, On seeing his devotee, whose nature was not to harm even those who intended to cause him harm, and who was simply beginning to worship the Lord, the Lord himself had previously ordered his chakra to protect him out of his affection for his devotee. He said, O chakra, when there is danger to Ambarish's life, then you should kill the person attacking him. So that was the order of Bhagavan to the chakra. You stay in the kingdom of Ambarish, and if there is some danger, you know what to do. So now, was, again, as I mentioned, the, the time for the chakra to render some service to Ambarish in the form of beheading whoever was trying to attack him. <laughs> so the disc uh, killed the demon, and now he, the turn was for Durvas, <laughs> who was the one who invoked the demon. So the disc started to chase Durvas Muni. So Durvas Muni started to fly, fly, you say, in all directions. He was mystic yogi, so he could not just run, but fly and move here and there different planetary systems, higher planetary system, lower planetary system. Chakra was just after him, just burning his his dreadlocks, just almost catching, almost catching. So Durvasa was running around. Eventually he went to Brahma Loka and he has shelter to Brahma. Please protect me from this disc. He's about to swallow me. Brahma said, I cannot do anything. I myself, I under the influence of this and that and time. Hmm? Abrahma, Ubana, Luka, and Krishna sits in the Gita. From up to Brahma till the end or whatever, 
the, the disc will be there, if you will. <laughs> Sometimes the time is compared to, to a disc as well. And then Durvasa went to Shiva. Still not to be to Vaikuntha, to Vishnu, but to Shiva, Mahadev, which, was, which is Durvasa's um, Istadevata, worshipable deity. So he said, I will go to my Prabhu, to my Lord, Mahadev, and he will protect me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as we know, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So he went to Mahadev and he said, I'm not Vishnu, I'm Vaishnava Namjatasambhu, I am a devotee of Vishnu, I'm surrendered to him. You are find the devotee of Vishnu. You have to speak with me. Go to Vishnu. I cannot do anything. Sorry. I go to Vishnu Lok. Go to Vaikuntha. Basically, he recommended. Mm-hmm. So that's and at that point, he said, "But according to Vishwanath, mm-hmm. Durvas was thinking. I had the hope that Shiva, my deity, will protect me. Mm-hmm. That has been a failure. Now, in order to save my life, I must go to Vishnu." By whose devotee I have ended up in such a disastrous condition. So much for my shame and life errors. <laughs> no? So try to get the point. I mean, he offended a devotee of Vishnu from tip to toe, and now he had to show his face in front of Vishnu after doing that. No? Embarrassing, to say the least. <laughs> but he had to, because the chakra was just dry, almost about to embrace him. <laughs> So Durvasa almost been scor- scorched, scorched by the by this darshan. He went to Balkuntalok and he fell at the feet of Vishnu, begging for protection, trembling, praying, "Please save me from this darshan, from your weapon, personal weapon." And recognizing, I have engaged in Vaishnava apparatus. We will see this is a really crucial section of the Bhagavatam concerning Vaishnava apparatus. One of the main stories that are generally invoked when speaking about Vaishnava Parada, what not to do, if you will, and what to do also. So he started to ask for Vishnu, nullify, nullify my, my offense to Ambarish, please, please. <clears throat> so the reply of Bhagavan, Narayan, Vishnu, to this request from Durbash will be these six verses that we will be studying now. Interestingly, the very first thing that Vishnu will say will be the verse that we will be starting studying today, that he will speak about, again, as we will see, how he is controlled by his devotees. And, and, in, and to give further context, let me share a little bit of what will happen after the six verses, to understand the point also of these six verses. And the idea is that in, in, in this reply that we will see, Bhagavan, Vishnu, and interestingly, it's Bhagavan Vishnu is not even Braja Krishna, so that's interesting because we will see how Vishnu speaks about his indebtedness and how he's controlled by his devotees. So that means to say, what if what to speak about Krishna Vrindavan? Sometimes it's some form of Kaimutyanyaya. Kaimutyanyaya means when you say something, but the idea of that is, what if? What if? If, if this is like this, what if? Well, like if you say, I don't know, by Namavasa you can attain by Kunta. What if you chant Sudhanam? So, here Vishnu is saying this, what if Braja Krishna will be, what will Krishna say actually, our own is to do. So the implication of the, the, the verses that we will be sharing this series is basically, Vishnu will say to Durbas, I cannot excuse you, I cannot for, uh, forgive you, because you have to beg forgiveness from the person you offended, who is the Vaishnava, who is Ambarish in this case, not myself. Mm-hmm. 
You have to submit yourself to the person. You have, it's like if I offend you, Krishna Chaitanya, and I go to Subal. Please, Subal, forgive me for my offense to Krishna Chaitanya. He will say, like, I don't have anything to do with that. You have to go to him. Paul, if I harm you and I beg forgiveness to my grandmother. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that makes no sense. <laughs> of course, Ambaris and Narayan are intimately connected, but at the same time, he wanted to make this point. And the content of that point will be how worshipful, how worshipable are the devotees to Bhagavan, how worshipable is Bhakti to Bhagavan, and so on. That will be the context, and extolling the glories of Bhakti. And again, all this is a trailer to the 10th canto. We are right in the 9th canto, so we're almost re- reaching there. So in this way, we will see how in these six verses, Bhagavan will advise, not by saying that overtly, but by chanting the glories of Bhakti and the Bhaktas, will suggest Durbas go to Ambarish. For surrender at his feet, beg his pardon. I have no control here. I cannot do anything. Another way of saying, Bhakti comes through the devotees. <laughs> Bhagavan himself said, you have to go to the agency, the Kripa Shakti, my Kripa Shakti. If you offended that, you try to heal the situation there as well. So we will start today with the first verse. That may take me some minutes, so I hope you are... Well, your belly is full, so everything is okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most important. <laughs> Hopefully I may compliment and feel your inner belly. <laughs> so your heart, your inner belly will be something like that. <laughs> so in this series, we will be starting today with the first verse. It's a famous series, as I mentioned, six verses. Sometimes these six verses are learned by heart or recited by devotees as part of their sadhana, as daily prayers in different places. I've, I've seen that, I've heard that, and they're very nice, very nice meditations. And here Bhagavan will disclose again his oblig- the obligation that he feels hmm, to protect his devotees. But again, to protect in the context of I'm purchased by them, hmm, I'm, I'm controlled by them. So naturally what follows is Rakshishyati Vishvaso, one of these limbs of Saranagati, to trust that Bhagavan will protect you. To understand the psychology of Bhagavan and how he naturally is there to reciprocate as much as we are willing to give ourselves to him. So, if you want, we can go to to the verse, today's verse. Again, this is the previous section to the 10th canto. As we mentioned, there was the Bhava Chatur Shloki of Ritrasur, given the trailer. Here we have another trailer that is given us an if you will, a further appetizer of what's coming next in the main section of the whole book. So I will recite the first one. This is ninth Canto, 4th chapter, and verse 63. This may be mainly, for many at least, the most well-known verse of these six ones. Although the last one is also quite well-known. So the verse starts saying, Sri Bhagavan Vacha. So now, Sukadev Goswami is, Bhagavan is, starting to speak. Till the previous verse, it was Durbasa crying, and please protect me, protect me. So now, Sri Bhagavan Vacha. So the mic is going to Narayan. <laughs> so play close attention. <laughs> so the verse says, Aham Bhakta Paradina Hyasra Tantra Ivadvya Sadhu Virgrastaridayo Bhakta Bhakta Jana Priya You don't have the blackboard, but try to I trust you already learned that by heart, so no problem. So the verse, the translation of the verse says, 
again, Sri Bhagavan Vacha, Sri Bhagavan says, O Brahmana, he's speaking to Durvas, remember, in Vaikuntha, the chakra is there in pause for a moment, for a minute, waiting. Say, okay, some prayer from Bhagavan, the chakra is here in the prayer also, waiting. <laughs> but Durvas is feeling the, the heat behind. Huh? Ambarish is on planet Earth, he remained absorbed praying, he, like he was with folded hands. So that's a particular scenario we will find these six verses. So Sri Bhagavan said, O Brahmana, I am completely under the control of my saintly devotees. I can finish this series here almost. I mean, this, only that line we can. But this will be a sutra form of what will be un, un, unpacked in the next verses. This idea. I am completely under the control of my saintly devotees. Indeed, my heart is possessed by them, and thus I am not at all independent. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It seems that in another place he says it's, it's say the opposite about Bhagavan, right? He's full independent. But here we are getting some intimate revelation. <laughs> what to speak of my devotee? Even those who are devotees of my devotee are very dear to me. So again, in this first verse we get the gist of all that we will be nicely revealing the remaining five verses. So again, Sri Bhagavan Vacha, here Bhagavan is speaking, and he says, Am Bhakta Paradino. Am is I. So interestingly, he starts speaking about himself, giving personal testimony. Remember, Dura say, please protect me from the Sudarshan Chakra, and Bhagavan will say, under the control of my devotees. Like implying, go to them. Go to them. I cannot do anything. I follow whatever they go. So, ham bhakta paradino. Ham means I, me. Bhakta paradino means dependent paradina on my bhakta, my devotees. First line. Ham bhakta paradino. I am depending on the will of my devotees. In other words, if they want to, protect, to forgive you, okay, I forgive you. If they do not want, what can I do? I am controlled by them. Try to get the psychology there. He ashra tantra ibaduya, second line. He means uh, indeed, so there is a further clarification in the second line. He ashra tantra, interestingly, ibaduya. Ashra tantra means not independent. Shra tantra means fully independent. Ashra tantra means I'm not independent. Ibaduya, duja means Brahmin, O Brahmin. Iba means like exactly like that it is translated like I'm at all not independent exactly like that <laughs> so again this may be shocking for the religious world Guru so will say sometimes no? religious world will upside down I mean the supreme independent and saying I'm not at all independent that's not so wrong and, and then he explains why why I'm not independent why I'm under control of medical Sadhubi grastaridayo. So sadhubi means through by the sadhus, basically, by those who are an implication here, the Charya's command is those who are completely free from all material desires. Grasta hridaya. My heart, hridaya is grasta. He's totally controlled. I'm totally my heart is totally controlled by them due to their their heart being free, devoid of all separate desire. In other words, all their desires are converging in me. So I cannot but reciprocate accordingly, basically. 
And the last line, if that's not enough, basically, the checkmate, if you will, is Bhakta Bhakta Jana Priya. Here and say, I love my devotees, they control me, I, I have no independence. But what to speak of my devotees? Bhakta Bhakta Jana Priya. Those jana, those people who are priya, who are dear to my bhakta, oh, they are also so dear to me. So whoever is dear to those who are dear to me, they are dear to me. So in other words, he's saying also, if you become dear to Ambarish, who is dear to me, you become dear to me. And the chakra won't be necessary. No, the indirect implication is that. But you, you, don't, you are not dear to him, you want to kill him five minutes ago. <laughs> so it's not working because of that. So you should have a change of attitude. So let's try to... <clears throat> to unpack a little bit the content of this verse, also by referring to some of the main commentaries by Sri Vishwanathakarvati Thakur, Sila Jiva Goswami, Sila Prabhupada as well. So, in his commentary to this verse in Krama Sandarva, which is one of the, is the seventh Sandarva in this case, if you will, which is a compilation of different sections of the Sat Sandarvas in, in the context of. Comment, commenting on different verses of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? So, Jiva Goswami will say that this section of six, six verses, the Lord establishes that He is controlled by His devotees completely in these six verses. So, this is again a very glorious section because Bhagavan is like publicly declaring, I'm completely controlled by them. Hmm? So, six verses that will really show, in other words, the power of bhakti to the point that Bhagavan confessing. I'm under their control fully. So Srila Jiva Goswami says that in this verse, <clears throat> Sri Bhagavan is making a promise, basically. And say, my heart is completely controlled by those devotees who are free from all duplicity. So he's qualifying the word sadhu bi. Sadhu bi means sadhu. And again, by sadhu we may say devotees, saintly people, but what's the implication of that? What does it mean to be a devotee? What does it mean to become saintly? It's not you have some yellow ring shining on your head for the picture or whatever. You can do that with Photoshop, no problem. <laughs> but it means free from duplicity, free from hypocrisy. That's what the Bhagavatam say right at the beginning, nirmatsaranam satam. Free from envy. Free from all that qualifies Kali Yuga, if you will. <laughs> Sadhu is a non, non-inhabitant of Kali Yuga. So, to be authentic, basically. Authenticity is, is basically the, how do you say, landmark of, of a sadhu. I mean, if you want, what's a sadhu? Authentic. Sadhu. Sadhu means from sat. Sat means that which is real. So, a sadhu is a real person. <laughs> I mean, every person is real, exists. But they maybe do not live according to the quality of their existence, what they really are, what they can be. So a sadhu is someone who is honoring his or her identity, the ultimate identity. Authentic person. Sad means truth. Sad means existent. Sad means honest, transparent, authentic. Mm-hmm. To hear, according to Jiva Goswami, Bhagavan is making a bow. Mm-hmm. To those persons who are fully authentic, I, my heart is totally controlled by them. That's a bow. Like implying, I'm saying this now forever. That's ongoing, anadi, without beginning, without end. 
And according to Jiva Goswami, they are free from all desires, even from the desire of liberation, which again is a, the most exceptional desire in the Vedic culture. I mean, it's where all the goals of life are converging. Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. The, the ultimate converging point, but we will find these verses, devotees are not interested in that. So what's this about? And again, it's the Bhagavatam speaking about Prem Pumartamaham, the Panchama Purushat, the fifth goal of life, post-liberated status. So, and, and Jiva Goswami said, Bhagavan said, I have great affection even for the devotees of my devotees. Here, the, the stress will be also on the principle of das and das, mm-hmm. trying to serve the Vaishnava, not try to jump over and go straight to Bhagavan. Bhagavatam will say, that's Kanishta Dikari. That's a neophyte way of approaching the divine. That's not so tasty for Bhagavan himself and so on. Mm-hmm. Also, Jiva Goswami, in another part, he says that in this verse, and in the next one as well, will be shown how Bhakti is the essence of Ladini Shakti, which is in turn the essence of the Swarup Shakti. So these verses will speak about the essence of the essence, of the essence, and I could be saying all the of the essence for an hour and so on. These verses are speaking about this. So, again, as I mentioned, interestingly, here we find that Bhagavan is declaring, I am totally dependent. Where generally we find in other places, God is to be seen as uh, independent. Swarat. The Bhagavatam starts right at the beginning. Thank you. I want to reach there. But yeah, the, the word is Swarat. Swarat means independent. So right then the onset of the one to say Bhagavan is Swarat means independent. But as the narrative progresses, we find Aswarat, Asatantra, dependent. But dependent in a particular way, that we can, as we can see. Interestingly, in that first verse of the Bhagavatam, in the, in the commentary, of course, there are levels of interpretation to that verse. I don't want to go there. It's a, it's a journey of no return. <laughs> For example, Vishwanath Chakravarti Tagore gives five la- layers of ex- commentary to that verse only. It's like 50 pages of commentary to the first verse of the Bhagavatam. He gives one explanation, second explanation, and he's digging more and more and more. So in the fourth explanation, he's mentioning that, that regarding Swarat, re- related to Krishna's independence, at this point he's explaining this first verse in terms of Radha Krishna Vrindavan. I won't enter into the details, but he said, because Krishna is Dira Lalita, which means a, uh, a male lover who is very skillful in the arts of love, but who is also dependent on his beloved, so he's dependent of Radha at this point, Vishwanath say, because Krishna's Zira Lalita, she, Radha, alone remains with her lover, Swarat, as a Swadina Kanta, or a woman who controls Krishna. So he, at this point, explains this first verse. Yes, in a general superficial way, Krishna is Swarat independent. When we enter into the realm of Lila, he becomes further and further dependent. But that dependence enhances the glory of his, if you will, supreme position. So, 
And Srila Jiva Goswami, his own purport to that first verse of the Bhagavatam also says, She Radha, she shines by her own self. And that word means Sarat, or totally. Her own independent shining makes Krishna. Depending on that. He even takes that shine, that last servant will Sriman Mahaprabhu. So, <clears throat> let's share some words from Srila Prabhupada and his purport in this connection. When he will speak about, he will present his purport to this verse at least quite in line with what Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur is mentioning. We will see that after. I will share some words. He says, all the great stalwart personalities in the universe, including Brahma and Shiva, are fully under the control of Bhagavan. Remember, Durvasa went to both of them and he was sent somewhere else. Uh, but he, Bhagavan, is fully under the control of his devotee. Why is this? Because the devotee is anyavilasita sunya. The same point again. Free from all desires. He has no material desires. His only desire is to think always of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and how to serve Him best. Because of this transcendental qualification, Bhagavan is extremely favorable to the devotees. Okay, the devotees are favorable, offer anukulena seva, anukul seva, favorable service. Bhagavan reciprocates accordingly. Hmm? Prabhupada says, indeed, not only the devotees, but also the devotees of the devotees. Hmm? And in that context, he quotes Narutam Das. Narutam says, without being a devotee of the devotee, one cannot be released from Maya. So, Mahaprabhu himself said that, when he had to say who he was, or which was his Abhiman, or his self-identification, he said, I'm a servant of the servant, of the servant of Krishna. <laughs> So, Srila Siramas once said this. And in the, in the prayers of, of Britra Sur that we heard yes, recently, he was starting the first verse by saying that, Ham Haritava Padaikamulam Dasanu Dasobhavitashmi Buya. He was praying, Allow me to become the Dasanu Dasanu Das. Srila mm-hmm. Siramas will say, Our, Ours is the fifth position. Bhagavan, the Nitya Siddhas, Eternal Associates, Sadhana Siddhas perfect beings through practice, those who are about to become siddhas, who are more advanced than us, and us, serving in that transcendental hierarchy or sequence, if you will. And of course, we may say, and those who are below us, if you want to speak in those terms, although Vaishnava will never feel in those terms, but we we are also to serve them. As Rupa Goswami will say, how to deal with the senior devotees, the devotees that are, how do you say, like equal to you, mm-hmm. the junior ones, it happens to, to, to be there, <laughs> and even the non-devotees. But the point is how to relate to all of them in terms of serving each of them. Interestingly. In, 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 at any moment you leave your designation as, I am a sevaka, I am a servant. Even if I am dealing with the owner of the grocery store, if you will. <laughs> If you are a servant in, in, in every pore of your identity, you will only be able to think in terms of service. No matter if it's your guru, your dog, the grocery person, you are a servant. I'm here to serve. How, which form that will take, that's a different thing. But the, the bhava, if you will, the mood will be that. 
Am Prabhupada in his purport quotes Prisvanath Chakravarti Thakur's Guru Astakam Yasya Prasad Bhagavad Prasad. By obtaining the grace of Sri Guru, you obtain the grace of Bhagavan. Bhagavan will become certainly favorable to that devotee. Now Prabhupada ends his purport saying, following instruction of the devotee is more valuable than following instructions of the Supreme Personality of God. Why? That yet to be revealed. We will continue following that. But yeah, once Sri Lassana say that, if Krishna comes to me, I will, ask, I will tell him, wait, why, wait one minute that I will ask my Gurudev if you are the person he was speaking to me about so all, the, all these years. <laughs> well, like in plain, I only want to go to you through the vehicle of the Vaishnava. And the Vaishnava means the Bhakti department, if you will. I don't want Krishna without Bhakti. I mean, I don't want Krishna without the Bodhisattva. I don't want Krishna without Bhakti. I don't want Krishna without Bhakti. Krishna without bhakti is like, strictly speaking, we can call that aparad. Shirada is the queen of bhakti. And when you say aparad, nam aparad. Nam means Krishna, it's not different from nam. And aparad means without radha. Apa means without. So we don't want Krishna without radha, without bhakti. Without bhakta, as we always say. So. All of these things are starting to be implied here. Let's continue with Vishwanath Chakravarti's purpose, which is really interesting. And, it, and, it, and as it is his style, he will like recreate or invoke a particular a type of, how do you say, between the lines, dialogue between Bhagavan Narayan here. And remember, this is Narayan speaking in Vaikuntha. No? So if you, if you hear, hear this and feel more, you can multiply that, how Krishna will be saying those things, which, which level of... The same words apply to that particular person. So Vishwanath here will de- reveal a particular interaction between Bar- Durvasa and Narayan. That he's telling many of, of his Bhagavatam purports. You have one verse, another verse, but in his commentaries he will share a whole conversation that is going on in between the lines of that verse to really understand what's the implication of this. So here Bhagavan is speaking to Durvasa, in the heart of Vishwanath. It says, Just as Brahma and Shiva cannot save you, remember, Durvasa just came saying, Brahma and Shiva, send me here. So, so Bhagavan is saying, Just as Brahma and Shiva cannot save you because they are dependent on me, ah, so am I also dependent and cannot save you. <laughs> because that was the point. Brahma and Shiva say, We cannot save you, we are dependent on Bhagavan. Vishnu. So, Durvasa went to Vishnu and said, I'm also dependent. <laughs> As Guru Mahesh will say, the worshipable, most worshipable object has some other worshipable object. <laughs> He's in the altar of most, but he has his own altar at home. <laughs> so, who is, who is in that altar? In God's altar. So, the Bhagavatam is pointing in that direction. All these verses are, again, pointing to the Brajalila, specifically where you find God is no longer God. Basically, God leaves his crown on Vaikuntha, his shoes, his padukas. As Guru Mahesh said the other day, someone may offer the padukas, but Krishna is not using them. They are there because just so the same. Put the padukas, go to the. Okay, thank you. I'm barefoot. I'm in the intimacy, informality of home. So, not, we, all of us are not wearing shoes here. We are at home. So, <laughs> so all these sections are pointing to. The Brajalila, if we had the eyes to see, the ears to hear. 
So according to Vishwanath, Vishnu is saying that to Durbas. No, Brahma and Shiva couldn't save you because they are dependent. I cannot save you because I am dependent. And Durbasa went like, you are independent. No, I'm not independent. So Durbasa is receiving a very interesting revelation here. <laughs> so Durbasa will reply, well, the dialogue just beginning here, Durbasa says to Bhagavan, you become dependent on your devotees by your nature, but this is not desired by the devotees. You are thus independent. Of course, Durbasa is speaking from a particular psychology. Devotees don't, do not want, they want to be dependent on you, they want to serve you. They are not expecting you to serve them, and so on. So Bhagavan said, that is true, I'm independent, but again, that's kind of boring for me. Something like Guru Rasul say, I'm omniscient, omnipresent, yes. <laughs> that's not so thrilling. Huh? So That is true, I'm independent, says Bhagavan, but my, by my will... I become dependent. On the foundation of independence, I become dependent. I didn't stop being independent. It's just that's not so exciting, basically. <laughs> so there is something on top of that. You can be dependent in a non-healthy way. You can be independent, and you can be on top of that de- dependent again, full circle. But in another context, as you will see, the concept of solution. <laughs> because I cannot give my various sentiments towards my devotees. Durbasa say, okay, okay, that's a point, you made a point, but seeing my suffering, you do not become compassionate. <laughs> Durbasa is about to be burned to ashes and crying, and please, okay, you are dependent to your devotees, controller, but here I'm praying to you, please save me, and you are saying, I cannot do anything for you. And Bhagavan replies, in the, in the words of Vishwanath, that is true. <laughs> you do not become compassionate to me, that is true. <laughs> and we will explain why that's important there are many philosophical points here to unpack that is true I do not have such a quality in my mind my heart is controlled by the best devotees without desire even for liberation seeing that liberation which I want to give them is not attractive to them I forcefully give my own heart <laughs> accepting that they make that one with their own hearts and fix it there with devotion. Some melting process there. All the things will be repeated in the, in the f- next verse, the following verses. Therefore my mercy exists in their mercy. I have extended myself in them. The Lord's mercy follows the mercy of the devotees. This is well known, says Bhagavan according to Vishwana, to all people, and it's known to you. I mean, you are money. What you are telling to me? You are Durbasa money. Should be known to you. Those protected by but the devotees are dear to me. What to speak of the devotees themselves? Oh, ignorant Brahmin, do you not consider this? <laughs> so Vishnu is smashing Durbasamuni now. No, He's, the bullying is coming back to him now. <laughs> it's not bullying actually. Proper instruction. So give me some extra minutes because. It, Try to unpack a little bit of this content because there's lots of important points to highlight here in the context of Tattu and Siddhanta. And why Bhagavan is saying, I'm not compassionate towards you, for example. I'm purchased by my, by my devotees. So I will also refer a little bit to the Paramatma Sandarva, Sulajiva Goswami, because in, in this particular section, Anucheda 93, he's invoking these six verses 
in the context of explaining how bhakti exists both in the bhakta and in Bhagavan, and how Bhagavan is not um, biased, you say biased, in a mundane way, he's impartial, and on top of that he's partial, remaining impartial. No. You have to, as, as we say, he's dependent, but he remains independent. <laughs> so in this, the context of this Anucheda hmm, establishes basically that Bhagavan, and this is an important point for us to understand, Bhagavan only interacts with his Swarup Shakti. He has no contact with Maya Shakti. He has no contact with Tatasta Shakti. Unless that Tatasta Shakti is affected by Swarup Shakti. Because if we say that Bhagavan enters in that contact, that will compromise the position of Bhagavan. And that's an interesting point, because generally <coughs> the idea that most of us, I mean, not you, but most of the people, I mean, had about God is generally in connection to this world and with us in this world. No? The cosmic administrator and help me, give me my daily bread or whatever. And all those functions had to do with the Paramatma actually aspect, not with Bhagavan. Paramatma has some, if you will, something to do with uh, Maya Shakti, Tatasta Shakti. He is the Antaryami, the inner witness of all that realms. But actually, Bhagavan is, if you will, thrown into the context of Swarup Shakti. He doesn't know anything outside the Swarup Shakti. And again, that's not a fault. We will try to unpack that idea. Mm-hmm. Actually, Jiva Goswami in this section will say, and even the Lila of creation, the Shristi Lila, and all the things that happen on this side of the world, if you will, of creation, you ultimately have to do, are motivated by the desire of Bhagavan to please his devotees. And from that unfolds, if you will, eternally, Paramatma, the world, and all the cycles of creation and so on. Mm-hmm. Bhagavan remains impartial as the Paramatma. Mm-hmm. He gives everyone according to what they deserve, according to their karmic merit, if you will, mm-hmm. Paramatma, justice. We spoke the other day about that. We have the, level, the concept of justice, Karma, divine justice, and there is no injustice, strictly speaking. That's a hard pill to swallow for some of us because we may feel, how is not injustice? I mean, if you say there is injustice, you mean karma is not working. Paramatma falls asleep or was seeing somewhere else, and I know Dantariyami went to a nap and some chaos was there. <laughs> but strictly speaking, no, there is no injustice. Or if you want to speak about injustice, we will speak about mercy. That's injustice. Divine injustice. Mercy is not just. We don't deserve that. But it's happening. <laughs> so that will have to do with Bhagavan and the realm of his bestowing the Sarup Shakti through his devotees. So the point is, he remains impartial as Paramatma. And as Bhagavan, he reciprocates accordingly to how each of his devotees approach him. As well as some other people approach or don't approach him. So he's not biased, basically. If a devotee is giving himself fully to him, Bhagavan will himself give fully to him. But as Paramatma remains impartial to those who do not choose to approach Bhagavan. So that's an important point. Mm-hmm. So the fact is that Bhagavan loves and serves his devotees mm-hmm. simply because 
the devotees are the only ones who care for Bhagavan. Basically, the only ones who are interested in a relationship to, with him. So he won't impose himself on the rest. Regarding the rest, he acts in his function of Paramatma, administrating everything in, in such a way that eventually that may facilitate, if you will, a higher connection, a higher experience. You follow the idea? So, because subtly, if we do not get this point, we may project in some blame or some fault in Bhagavan, or why he's doing this and he's not doing that. Hmm? It is said that Bhagavan is like a wish, wish, how do you say, wish-fulfilling tree. So each one approaches him with a particular intention, and he will reciprocate accordingly. Some won't even approach that tree. So, okay, no problem. There are some other departments for that. Hmm? Hmm? And again, to, to, to remain neutral regarding some people is the appropriate reply to those who choose to be neutral in regard, relation to him. That's a real gentle, gentleman-like attitude, very respectful, not imposing himself. <laughs> but for those who give themselves fully to him, I mean, he kind of but reciprocate. And so many other verses in that line. Krishna is saying, according to how they give themselves to me, I give themselves to them. If they give themselves fully, I cannot but reciprocate. And it's not a fault. And who those who wish to reject me, okay, I won't force myself into their lives. <laughs> I will be there still in some form or other. I mean, I'm everywhere. <laughs> but in that particular form, in that particular reciprocation, the time has not come yet, if you will, for them. So it is what they choose. I respond accordingly. Okay? So Bhagavan is unbiased from that perspective. The, fall, the point is not that he's given fully to his devotees, saying all these verses. Why? Madhurbasa was saying that. Why you are saying that? And me, me, I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. But the point is that Durbasa is not a devotee. He's not acting as a devotee here. And an important point, well, now we'll go that. But the point is Bhagavan is only interacting with his devotees. With Bhakti, that's the point. He remains only in the orbit, you say, of Bhakti. He doesn't know what does it mean to be in Maya. And that's why he cannot fully be empathic towards us. That's what Vishwanath explains. He can have what is called in psychology cognitive empathy. There's cognitive empathy and affective empathy. So cognitive empathy means, I don't know, your mother passed away. My mother did not pass away, so I don't know what does it mean yet. But I can understand something. I, I know you are suffering and I can figure at some level. And I try to be empathic and help. You follow? That's cognitive empathy. But affective empathy is my mother passed away and now your mother passed away. So I know what does it mean. So I can be empathic from another side. But the point is Bhagavan can only have cognitive empathy toward us. Because he doesn't know what does it mean to be under the influence of Maya. He had never been under that. And if he would that will compromise his situation. <laughs> but he has cognitive empathy and makes the arrangement that through the vision of the devotees, they know what does it mean to be a Maya. Because they have been, they came out from that. They have been found, as we spoke the other day. And they are on the way back home, if you will. So they can have effective empathy. They know our experience fully. And they can extend that Shakti. And Jiva Goswami also in the Sandarvas in, in order to further emphasize how Bhagavan doesn't go out from the orbit of 
of his Swarup Shakti, he says that, for example, when Krishna comes to this planet Earth, sometimes he's seen interacting with Devas, Asuras. So one may say he's interacting with, I mean, Devas and Asuras are under the influence of the Gunas on some level or another. For example, sometimes Krishna is fighting with some Asura. So he's interacting with the, I don't know, the Tamaguna of the Asura, if you will. So you say that he only interacted with Swarup Shakti, and you will say, no. When Krishna is fighting with an Asura, he ex- extends some of his own Shakti, empowers that Asura, in order to give him a good fight. And he will only fight with his own empowerment bestowed on that Asura, which is part of his Swarup Shakti. <laughs> so he never enters in contact with the Asuric side, if you will, of the person, but only through his own empowered Shakti. And the same applies to the devas in a, in a more virtuous type of empowerment, not necessarily fighting with them, although sometimes there are some fights with the devas there, <laughs> Indra especially. But the point is, he's empowering them, and he's only interacting with his own, again, Swarup Shakti. He's not going out of that orbit. <clears throat> For example, one example is that of, of Gajendra. And sometimes they say Gajendra was praying to, you know, the, the elephant Gajendra, he was suffering, the crocodile was about to kill him, biting his uh, leg. So he prayed, at one point he prayed, because in his previous life was a devotee, he remembered one of those prayers. You have to learn by heart some verses that may help in your next life, <laughs> just in case. So he recited one prayer, and sometimes we say, oh, so Bhagavan re- responded to Gajendra's material suffering. But the church said no, because he had no contact with material suffering. He replied to Gajendra's surrender to Bhagavan. He expressed bhakti. Mm. He was expressing suffering also. But on top of that, he expressed surrender and bhakti. And that's what intercepted Bhagavan. That's he had ears for. Because bhakti is for shakti, and Bhagavan only interacts with that. Mm-hmm. So let me share you some brief words of Jiva Goswami, literally, from his Paramatma Sandharva disconnection and which we are almost closing with some few words. <clears throat> Since it is proven that Bhagavan, though self-satisfied, is affectionate to his devotees, it naturally follows that he feels delighted by the removal of his devotees' pains or by their attainment of well-being. Moreover, the energetic aspect called Ladini is the essence of the intrinsic potency, even though the latter... Latter? Okay is the ultimate essence of all Bhagavan's potencies. And the essence even of that Ladini aspect is a very special power, power called Bhakti. This Bhakti, also called Rati, ever resides both in Bhagavan and the devotees, extending her functions on both sides. Thus, it is said, Bhagavan is he who has devotion for his devotees. There is a very famous line of the Bhagavatam, Bhagavan Bhakta Bhakti Mam, it is said. You have Superman, here you have Bhaktiman. <laughs> Bhagavan Bhakta Bhaktiman. He's the, the Bhaktiman for his devotees, the one who has Bhakti for his, the Bhakta of his Bhaktas. That's a nice definition in Bhagavatam, 86th chapter of 10th canto. He's the Bhakta of his Bhaktas. That's who is Bhagavan, according to the Bhagavatam. Sri Jiva continues saying, Consequently, Bhagavan's satisfaction stemming from the devoting, devotion, sorry, existing in the devotee, is in no way incompatible with his quality of being self-satisfied. Rather, bhakti, 
being one of Bhagavan's potencies, is both different and non-different from the Swarup of the Lord, according to the principle, as they surrender unto me, so do I also serve them. Verse of the Gita. Because Bhakti appears as if it were a separate energy due to manifesting in the heart of the devotee, Bhagavan experiences extreme unprecedented bliss, unprecedented bliss in that form. So here he starts to unfold the idea of Swarup Shakti Ananda. We'll speak about that tomorrow. Swarup Ananda and Swarup Shakti Ananda. How when the Swarup Shakti is intrinsic, inherent in Bhagavan, gives him a degree of pleasure, but when that takes an outer form through the devotee, that gives him a highest bliss. Even in the doctrine of those who consider potency a potent to be different, the essential nature of Bhagavan is understood to be qualified with potency. The Absolute has potency. Intending all this, Sri Vishnu stated the following to Sage Durbas. And then Sri Goswami shares these verses in the context of this of these words here. So here we are starting to unfold a little bit more what will be unfolded in the remaining verses, and that is that the intrinsic potency of Bhagavan, Swarup Shakti or Bhakti, as we would like to call it, is non different from Bhagavan. We have different and non different, Ved Abed. So it's Abed, it's non different, it's his Swarup Shakti. Swarup means his own, belonging to his own form, his internal energy, sometimes called. And thus, he derives pleasure. Whenever Bhagavan derives pleasure, he will derive pleasure from his own internal energy, not from something external to his Swarup. And Swarup means also nature. So, Swarup Shakti means the energy that belongs to his own nature. Tatasta Shakti, Maya Shakti are some, somewhat, somewhat, you say, external to his own nature. So again, he doesn't go out of himself. That's why he's called Atmaram, self-satisfied. He doesn't look pleasure somewhere else. He doesn't need that. <laughs> so whenever he seems to derive pleasure from somewhere else, from the devotees, this here they say, the devotees are not somewhere else. Because there are personifications of that Surup Shakti appearing in a personified form. And there he will derive higher bliss. So this does not make Bhagavan uh, subject to lack of self-satisfaction. Oh, I need to go somewhere else. No, that's us in this world. We have a, an existential hole here <laughs> of this size, or whatever size, whatever form. And when we look for someone else, we see that person. Oh, that person had the exact size of my existential hole. So you take the person, you try to make that person fit <laughs> in your existential hole. And of course, the other person is trying to do the same with you. No. <laughs> So that's a problem generally because both parties are empty and they try to be filled with each other. But in the case of Bhagavan or Bhagavan and his devotees, they're filled, both parties, and they just become all overflow with each other when they get to like Rasa Lila. We will speak about that next class. In Rasa Lila, in the first verse, Krishna describes as self satisfied, but nonetheless having the desire to interact with the gopis. So you may feel, oh, he has a lacking. Maybe some codependence there, whatever. <laughs> no. So he calls the gopis and the gopis come, or maybe they have a lacking also. And they try to fulfill it. No, both of them are fulfilled. And they just get together to celebrate that fullness. And that overflows. <laughs> so that's what's happened with Bhagavan is giving himself to the devotee. 
I'm the devotee giving himself to Bhagavan, ideally. That's the ideal type of exchange. I'm not trying to make you feel me and feel, serve me, basically, but serve you. Make you overflow, if you will, further. And there are unending opportunities of service. It's not that one may say, but God is self-satisfied. We, there's nothing we can give. Some people have this idea. He doesn't need anything. That's the danger of this idea. God is full, complete. He doesn't need anything. So the point is, I won't give anything to him. He, he's only there to give something to me because I need so many things. <laughs> That's a low-level religion, basically. God is full, so there's nothing I can give to him. I'm empty. There's everything he can give to me. So that's our relationship. He will just supply. He is a supplier, basically. <laughs> that's an exploiting idea. So here we feel we establish his full, but his fullness is in such a way that it can always become fuller. So we want to be part of part of that further overflow, if you will, of God's fullness. That's the whole idea of bhakti. He's full, yeah, but he can be more full, and you can be part of that equation, if you will, and you can experience that as well. <laughs> Okay, that sounds more noble, <laughs> more noble approach to divinity. <laughs> mm-hmm. So both of them, ideally, like this example, Bhagavan and Ambarish, what to speak, Braja Krishna and the Gopas and Gopis, that's again a trailer, you can multiply and apply that to the Braja Lila standard. Both of them are self-satisfied, Bhagavan, the Bhutis, ideally. Mm-hmm. But yet, both continuously yearn, if you will, to serve each other. But again, not because of some personal emptiness that I want you to fulfill. Just in, being impe- impelled by love. I mean, try to understand the nature of love. I mean, I don't need to have a field. You don't need to have a, a, some empty stuff to be filled. I just want to love you. I just want to serve you. I just want to make you further overflow, whatever. No, it's not just, I'm waiting for you to have some hole there, how to be filled, or whatever. So both sides are self-satisfied, but yet yearn to each other. That's an nature of love. So Bhagavan is completing himself, but he derives unprecedented bliss in serving his devotees. That's what this verse is trying to say. I'm totally under their control, and that gives me the topmost pleasure. To say that that's the favorite quality of Bhagavan in himself. If you are making an interview to Krishna, say, what's, what's the most favorite thing in you? <laughs> and he will say, Bhaktavatsalya, which means my quality of becoming under the control of my devotees. That's the most incredible thing in me, which actually has nothing to do with him, but with them, if you will. So that's totally humble. What's your favorite quality in you? That I am fully controlled by my devotees. So that's the favorite side of Krishna, for Krishna. (laughs) And that's our fortune, for sure, our hope. (laughs) So... And, and, that, and again, here it's not speaking about Braja Lila, but the implications are there, because here he's saying, I'm totally controlled by my devotees. So which are the, if you play out the consequences of that to its utmost degree, what's the point? He will become so overwhelmed by that love that he will forget that he's God himself. And there we have Braja Krishna, the Krishna conception in Vrindavan. Hmm? He, experienced, he experienced such extreme delight by the love of his bhakta that I mean, he's thrown in that pool, if you will. He's not aware. He's not aware. I mean, he's not aware. If you go to Vrindavan and say, Hey, God. I mean, that's a famous section of Brihad Bhagavatam. Maybe you, you remind that. At one point, Narad Muni is asking Krishna. <laughs> that's a funny one. He says, Oh, Krishna, 
when you were a child in Vrindavan, he was a little older, and you were you had to kill so many demons. You had we went through so many difficulties while being just a baby almost. Such monsters, giant personalities, so many obstacles, difficulties. You never experienced any like difficulty, problem, like uncomfortable situation and Krishna was like No? No, well, it's okay. But Narada says like but please think think further. Never you found any disturbing situation, traumatizing situation during your childhood? Any childhood trauma maybe to solve? <laughs> Some sort of psychological conversation was there. No? What happened in your childhood? What happened? So Krishna said, well, now that you insist, there is something I can say. Yeah. There were some moments that I will almost compare them to trauma. It was, it was during those moments, not when killing demons and dealing with all the situations. Well, my Vishnu portion was doing that. But if I have to, to, to confess, if you will, there were some difficult moments. And it was when sages like you came to me in Brindana and started to remind me, Oh, Bhagavan, the Supreme Lord, the source of all creation. Oh, that was so disturbing, he said. <laughs> and Naramuni was like, Okay, I think I have to fly to somewhere else now. <laughs> I have some flags leaving now. <laughs> so he, he disappeared. Well, the implication of this is Krishna is totally in self-forgetfulness. The topmost idea is self-forgetfulness in love. And that applies to us, but that applies to Krishna to the point that self-forgetfulness for him is the God designation becomes an upadi, becomes a limiting adjunct, becomes part of his false ego, <laughs> false sense of identity. My point in Vrindavan, you say to Krishna, "You are God." That's his. That's not his identity. That's not his ahankar. My sense of I am, if you will. So all this is implied here, even though we are in the ninth canto yet, but we are getting closer and closer to the, to the tenth canto. And again, this conception of Bhagavan, exclusively surrounded by the Swarup Shakti, and especially especially surrounded by the Swarup Shakti to the point that he forgot his own divinity, that's no ordinary conception of God. That's not the general conception of God. Rewarding piety and meeting out punishment for those who deserve it and the wrongdoing. Again, that's Paramatma. Maya Shakti, Tatasta Shakti, you deserve this, Karma, Antaryami. Bhagavan, only with Swarup Shakti. Again, here Bhagavan Vishnu is speaking, which is only surrounded by Swarup Shakti, but a certain level of Swarup Shakti, which does not take him to forget, I'm God. I mean, he's pretty aware of that. Everyone is reminding him about that every single second. <laughs> But in Vrindavan, nobody will say that, as we know. Nobody. Even if the idea comes, as, as Vishwanath nicely, I, I don't want to go in detail there, but as Vishwanath Chakravartakur nicely depicts in his Raghavarma Chandrika, he says, even if the idea of Krishna being God in Vrindavan surface, surfaces, mm-hmm. that only will nourish the Madhurya of the inhabitants there, the intimacy. For example, Krishna left Govardhan for seven days. That's quite extraordinary. And that was overt Ajvarya. Before that, Krishna killed so many demons, but nobody saw him. His friends sometimes, but nobody believed them. No. <laughs> oh, he killed them? Yeah, yeah. Then. Ch- children tales. No. Big monster was flying, and Krishna took and cleared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Let's take breakfast. We'll go. <laughs> but when he left Govardhan for seven days, that was, I mean, everyone was sitting there. All burned down was under Govardhan. So after that, some were wondering, maybe he's God, or maybe he's, I don't know, something apart from 
an ordinary child as we think of him, a <laughs> charming one. So at one point Vishwanath mentions the notion of that came in some, they suggested that to the Nanda So of course we know they very quickly dismissed that with that idea saying, I know God, he's peaceful, he's quiet, he doesn't steal, he doesn't lie, he does he doesn't know about womanizer, he does Nanda Yasoda does not know that part of Krishna, so but God is not like that. So Krishna is all that, so he's not God. But the point here is Vishwanath said even if the idea of he may be God comes, for Jasuda will say, oh, my Krishna is God. Oh, my Krishna is so special. And he is this example of, if, if the mother of a child is, uh, sorry, yeah, if the mother of the child becomes a president, he gives that example there, like a king, the mother will increase her Batsali for him. Even though in the face of his child giving the presidential, official inaugurating lecture there, her Batsali will be like, drowning her at that moment <laughs> more than ever further Aishwarya, further Madhurya so that's the nature of Vrindavan if there is Aishwarya, if there is no Aishwarya the Madhurya, is, Madhurya here means intimacy, not necessarily romantic relationship, Madhurya keeps increasing at every moment and when Aishwarya comes it further nourishes the Madhurya I mean, the, the intimacy is such that whatever comes on the way the intimacy swallows all that yeah. and nourishes itself more and more. So that's what's happening here. And again, here we have Vishnu speaking. But all that we are speaking, of course, we try to connect that with our Ishtadevata. But for a minute, try to go back to, to the context. And even here in Vishnu and Vaikuntha, that's charming. These prayers are very beautiful. Not, not to dismiss Vaikuntha above altogether, thinking, oh, everyone is afraid. Because sometimes we have this wrong idea. Oh, and reverence means everyone is afraid they're running from, I don't know, vision. They're afraid of nothing. They have love. Mm-hmm. But it's a different type. Of, there's awareness of Narayan's divinity. So here is Vishnu speaking. But I, I'm sure that most of you, you hear these verses and you will hear Krishna speaking. <laughs> so that's, that's your transcendental bias, if you will. That's, that's it. How you are, your heart has been touched and affected. So this verse again is an introduction. All the things that will be unpacked in the remaining five verses. So in the following one, just a brief mention, Bhagavan will be continued to unfold these implications of this initial statement here. And he will state how he, being Atmaram, being self-satisfied, derives the highest bliss in connection to his devotee. So we'll we continue tomorrow. So today we'll finish here. To be continued. I don't know if you have any questions before finishing. We may have some minutes if you want. For sure. <clears throat> I, so I have a, um, two questions, actually. Okay. So I'm a little confused as to how Durvasa got into Vaikuntha. Mm-hmm. Since he's not... We established that he isn't a bhakta. Yeah. Well, we, allow visitors, like passport, kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Guru, Guru Mahan, and that's mentioned, I think, in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. Sometimes it's mentioned that some personalities like them are admitted for a minute. Sometimes the example given is like if you have some, if you, like if, if the king is bringing to his palace some wild beast or animal for entertainment, if you will. <laughs> so the person does not actually belong to the okay. 
to the place, but this admitted for a minute for a particular purpose. Mm-hmm. No? So Durbasa is like kind of representing that. And, 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 and it did say that he didn't really, if you will, I mean, it's difficult to speak in terms he entered, not enter in geographical terms. But the idea right. is he's not in Vaikuntha, but he reached like, let's say, the shore. <laughs> and and, and, by, and Narayan appeared there, if you will. But he's not like in, inside the full, all of that Vaikuntha implies. So he reached the shore of that, but uh, Narayan admitted that for some particular purpose. And that will be like the idea, basically. You know? He's not really a card card-carrying member of, of, of the Paravyam, basically. No? Second okay, question. Thank you. No. Um, yeah, well, because I was also thinking how the four Kumaras are, were Brahma bodies mm-hmm. as well, and mm-hmm. they were stopped, but I'm guessing that was... Yeah, we can. I, I, was, I was about to quote that same example. I mean, to extend yeah. the idea of the Kumaras in, in the same way. They did not fully enter by Kuntha. Right. You know, They're they were stopped in a particular door. They say that they, I think they enter like six and in the right. seventh door. <laughs> no? Like implying there are degrees of, and layers of access here. Um, of course, there is some pastime. Eventually they become Vaishnavs, as we know, by smelling tulsi and so on. But at that moment, their level of admission was that. So they didn't enter by Kuntha, strictly speaking. They just reached some shore there with the particular purposes we know in order to and, and we see all these Brahma bodies personalities non-devotees if you want to call them they are really instrumental in creating nursery you know, <laughs> so we see how Bhagavan is using them and eventually blessing them for sure as well Durvas will be entirely blessed I mean Durvas at the same time is the one who at one point appears in Vrindavan and is right. blessing Sri Radha to yeah to whatever she cooks will give long life to everyone. So there are the particular figures. You know? On one side we say he's a Brahma body, but on another side he's blessing Srirada, if you will, in, in the Leela. So paradigmatic figures, particular personalities. Yeah. My other question was, I, um, <clears throat> if you could... I, so you said, um, so according to the verse that Bhagavan says that uh, he says the sadhu that is not duplicious mm. and that is authentic. Mm. I didn't quite understand. So you, the definition that you gave for authenticity was um, to live real according to the ideal, yeah. I think you said. I try, uh, yeah, try, I, I tried to make a connection with the etymology of, of the word sadhu, which right, means from right. sat. You know, okay. Sat means... Yeah. Sometimes we may say eternal, but sat also means existent, something which exists. But also sat means real. Satyam, for example, right. means truth. So sat, sadhu means someone who is real, if you will, who is honest, who is transparent, who is non-duplicitous. So in that, in that line of authentic and all these different ways we can speak about what does it mean to be a sadhu? No? Like, like someone who has real integrity and who is willing to do what he or she has to do in order to change what he or she has to change. That's one level of... Okay. I mean, we can describe authenticity on so many levels, but I could kickstart the idea with that. Someone who will, is willing to do, first is willing to know, because maybe he doesn't know what needs <laughs> to be done, willing to know and to do what is, needs to be known and done 
in order to change what has to be changed to upgrade one's service condition, if you will, something like that. No? So authenticity, and as we mentioned also in the prayers of Britusur, also someone who who says what he or she thinks and who does what he or she says. Mm. Like mind, words, and body, that we always hear this three threefold classification for a devotee. I surrender Aham for example. I'm yours, mind, words and body. So so that has to do also with some type of non contradiction, ideally alignment. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm thinking, I am speaking, what I'm speaking, I'm doing. I'm, I have commitment with all these layers of expression of myself. Mm-hmm. Some of the people will think something We'll say some other thing. We'll do something. <laughs> we may say what we think, but we may not do some. Some contradiction may come at one part of the road. No? But as much as we become status, that implies like really, as we might will say, no, uh, you have you are a public person with no private life, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will. No? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I won't say you give publicly the password of your bank account or whatever. <laughs> no? I mean, but. As he will say also, spiritual life is, doesn't mean a private thing, but it means that between your private life and your public life, there's no difference. There's emerging in all sincerity there, because you reach a point where, fortunately, you don't have anything to hide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, you're happy to say what you think and do what you say. There's no need to create boundaries between all the things to hide something. If you're hiding something, means... That part that is hiding is not yet a sadhu, if you will. Mm. I mean, you can be a sadhu on some level. It's not black and white. It's not I'm a sadhu, and tomorrow you are a sadhu. I mean, it's so degrees from we are living as a sadhaka, mm, coexisting <laughs> with, with the two. Like sometimes they have the angel and the <laughs> figuratively. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So gradually, gradually getting closer to this uh, honesty. Like to the insight that that's a... I mean, the, the greatest... In the beginning, it may, we may be after that because we feel that would bring, bring me the greatest relief. Still, we may be thinking about ourselves, but, yeah. <laughs> but at least on some level, we are trying... We, un, we understood that's the best possible thing, to be honest, don't, to not lie. Sometimes they don't lie, but that has so many implications. What does it mean not to lie? <laughs> I don't feel the need to make a show to others. I don't feel the need to hide anything. That take, may take, take time. It's not a forced act. But yeah. Some words. Or sadhu and sat. <laughs> no, yeah, I just then we go to Chit and Ananda. First, yeah. let's go yeah. with sat. <laughs> oh, there's lots of homework to do sat. Let's go sat, well, sat, chit, ananda. Sat, sat, sat. Yeah. <laughs> Sit, sat. <laughs> sit and sat. Sit and do sat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anything else? I don't know. Any other question? Okay, so we can finish here and tomorrow we are continuing with the next verse. And thank you very much for your time, your presence, your association. Sri Laguru Dev Ki Jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Sri Radha Sarat Bihari Ji Ki Jai, Sri Giriyaj Maharaj Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Pramananda Ki Jai.